Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, come on, you already know you're in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. This is an interesting one. I have a quote from a gentleman named Brian Lakamp, L-A-K-A-M-P. He's the co-founder and CEO of Totem, and I found this quote from him on TechCrunch. Here we go. Energy is the new, new Internet. I think there are a lot of implications in this, but I'm not exactly sure what they all mean, so we have a panel to talk about it. What are we talking about? The dynamic, distributed, and multi-participant energy Internet, it has a name. It's called Internet or Internet, I'll let you pronounce it any way you want, E-N-E-R-N-E-T, is positioned to transform our lives, perhaps even on a larger scale than the Internet before it. Now, if you stop and think... Do you remember before we had the Internet, before we had cellular connections everywhere, before we had AI, before we had IoT? Do you remember back that far? I do. So here we have the Internet. It had a major impact on everything we know in our culture, our civilization, and the connectivity of the world. And now we have something that's new, the Internet. Well, we're going to have to find out what is it. It's built around clean energy generation, storage, and delivery. With a long list of innovators emerging, the resulting innovation will drive massive change including how we think about our cities, our municipal services, our transportation. Yes, we still need transportation, insurance, real estate, financial services, and more. I think that's just about everything. So what does this thing, this Internet, this new, new Internet mean to your company, to your industry, to the world, and to you on a personal basis? Well, of course, we have a panel of experts who will help us dive into this and see what it all means. You are familiar. Our regular listeners are familiar with two of our panelists, and we have a new so let me tell you who they are. First up, we're welcoming back Frank Diana, futurist at TCS, and he'll tell us a little bit about how his job has evolved over the past year or so. Joining us is a very, very, very regular panelist, Gray Scott, futurist and host of Futuristic Now, a new weekly ad-free web series, yes. And our newcomer is Tom Franklin, director of the Upstream Center of Excellence at TCS, same company where Frank works, that's Tata Consulting Consultancy Services. So let's circle around around the table to Mr. Frank Diana, and Frank has selected a quote from Alvin Toffler, who lived from 1928 to 2016, American writer, futurist, and businessman, known for his works discussing modern technology, including the digital revolution and the communication revolution. If you're wondering why his name sounds familiar, Toffler wrote Future Shock, a worldwide bestseller that sold Only 6 million copies so far, but there's a lot of time left. Here's the quote. You've got to think about big things while you're doing small things so that all the small things go in the right direction. Frank, Diana, Happy New Year. How have you been? Happy New Year. I've been great. Thanks for having me back. We're delighted. Couldn't do a show about the future without you, Frank, Diana. So, Frank, first tell me what's new with your job. Is your title still futurist, or what do you want us to call you today? And then we'll talk about Toffler. Yeah, still, still futurist, still focused on trying to figure out where this world is going and what that means to all of us. Good luck to us. Okay. And by the way, another 
term that was coined by Toffler, which is probably germane to this, is information overload. He coined that term. So tell me about this. You've got to think about big things while you're doing small things. So all the small things go in the right direction. Do you agree with that? And tell me how this works for our topic today, Frank. I absolutely agree with that. Alvin Toffler is one of those folks that people go to when they're thinking about the future. So I thought it was a very appropriate quote. Um, and, and this is really relevant to leaders everywhere, not just business, but government, et cetera, in that there are so many big changes coming, and we tend to get wrapped up in our day-to-day activities and, and the day job that we don't look up to see some of these bigger things that are coming. And, and if we don't, we don't understand them, then it's very difficult for us to move ourselves in directions that are, are uh, opportunistic and profitable and help society, et cetera. So uh, in the context of this topic, clearly there's an awful lot happening in the energy world. And so we need to understand them uh, in the context of the direction they're heading and, and the implications they're going to have to just about everything. Thank you, Frank. Let me pick this apart just for a second. I know Gray and Tom are waiting patiently for their turn, but what's the big thing in this quote and what's the small thing? Is the And am I pronouncing it right, Frank? Internet, internet, how do you prefer? I was saying Internet, but either way, I guess. Internet, okay. So the Internet, and people might think I'm skipping the T in Internet if I say it that way, but we'll go with that. So I can't wait to see this in the transcript we get of the show. What did she say? I don't know. So what's the small thing and what's the big thing? Is the Internet the big thing? Are energy companies and innovators around energy generation, storage, and delivery, are those the small cogs in the wheel, if you will, the digital wheel? So what's the big and what's the small? I just want to break it down a little bit. So all the innovations that are emerging that fundamentally alter the energy paradigm are are the small things that that are accumulating in ways that will change the energy paradigm. And if you think back, uh, it's been a while since our energy paradigm has changed, and it is one of the foundational things for society. So the big thing, obviously, is the massive change that it represents for society. The small things are just the massive amounts of innovations that are emerging. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate that very much, and welcome back. And now let's turn to Gray Scott. Gray, host of Futuristic Now, and Gray has been on our show, I think, uh, three times in the past three and a half weeks, so doesn't need much introduction. Gray, for this show, has selected a quote from Nelson Mandela. Anybody too young to remember? Nelson Rolehalala Mandela. 1918 to 2013, South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader, and philanthropist who served as the president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. If you want more information, just Google him, M-A-N-D-E-L-A. Here's the quote. It always seems impossible until it is done. Oh, my. Grace Scott, how are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. Well, you're welcome. How could we do a show on the future without you and Frank? I don't know. That just boggles the mind. So tell me, we're talking Internet. How do you prefer to pronounce it? Internet, Internet? What do you prefer? Internet, I think, is fine, yeah. Okay, good. Um, Tell me about the quote. Part of the reason I chose chose this quote uh, is because I've said to you before, we are entering the age of the impossible. And it sounds counterintuitive. It sounds like you're saying we're entering an age where everything is impossible. But what I'm saying is we're entering the age where when people say something is impossible, you say to them, look what we're doing. You know, look at the innovations that even five years ago, we never thought we would cure certain types of cancers. We are doing things now that seem impossible. So I say we're entering the age of the impossible. And I think this quote is is perfect for that idea. Okay, so the age of the impossible, meaning we are seeing the impossible become possible and reality. Am I getting that right? 
Absolutely. And so when you say to people, <clears throat> so for example, one of the technologies uh, that I've been talking about is the idea of Li-Fi, being able to use light to transfer data. And this is something we're going to start seeing in the near future. That sounds impossible. You say to people, well, if you have a light bulb, then I can get internet access. I, I can transfer files. I can send you a book through a light bulb. People will say that sounds impossible. <laughs> so, so that's what I mean about entering the age of the impossible. I'm trying to tweet this, and and it's it's a beautiful thing. I you know the policy on the show is that you don't quote yourself because you all say so many brilliant things during the course of each show. So I'm going to tweet this as your quote. Thank you very much, Gray. Very inspiring, and a nice jumping point off from Nelson Mandela's quote. Tom Franklin is our newcomer today, and he is quoted. I'm never sure how to pronounce her first name. Tom Anis Nin. Am I am I saying it right or Anais Nin? Anais Ananias, there you go. Uh, her full name, wait for it, Angela Ananias Juana Antolina Rosa Edelmira Nini Comel. Okay, I got it all out there. 1903 to 1977. She was an American diarist, essayist, novelist, and writer of short stories and erotica. Uh, she was the daughter of a composer and a classically trained singer. And she started writing journals at age 11 and continued writing them for six decades. And a lot of interesting stuff came out in her journals, and they were published. Uh, she has all kinds of collections, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Look her up, anybody who doesn't know who she is. A-N-A-I-S, last name Nin, N-I-N. And here is the quote Tom has selected. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. I like that one. Tom Franklin, tell me how that relates to our topic, please. Sure. If you look at where we're we're going in the energy industry, no matter what part of it you're in, whether it's renewables, whether it's petroleum, uh, conventional power, the world is changing so fast and at such a scope and such a depth that for a lot of people it can be frightening. And it gets very personal because it actually affects your plans for your career and what you need to do and, and, and affects you deeply at a personal level. You can feel like the world is closing in around you with all of these changes and that the territory that's familiar to you is getting smaller and smaller all the time. And what I have to, I like to keep her in front of me because it reminds me to, 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 to bring a little courage to it, bring the ability to, to be wrong, to challenge, to try new things, to make experiments, to, to look at it, to ask, ask fundamental questions about how do I add value to the energy industry and what do I do and what's my role. If we bring some courage to it, you know, you go back to the basics and really all we're trying to do is lift the next billion people out of abject, abject poverty, and we'll do that mm-hmm. with abundant energy. So there's lots of opportunity. There's lots to do. There's not a better time to come into the energy industry than this, but it takes a little courage in order to see that, I think. I think it does. I think it takes a lot of courage. And going back to what Gray Scott just said, his quotable moment, Tom, that everything we thought was, well, that's impossible. That'll never happen. And now here we are, and these things are becoming reality and part of our real, real world in 2018. And and it's only going to get more mind-boggling. So I, I agree, the courage to make all these things happen. The people who said... Nah, that's not going to stop me. I think we'll just keep working on it. We'll get there. Thank you so much, Tom, and welcome to the show. And now we're going to circle back around to Frank, Diana. And Frank, we have to do a shout-out to your colleague, Kevin Mulcahy. He is tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. Kevin, keep rest your fingers. We have a lot more to the show. I'm only teasing. It's nice to see Kevin. And my colleague, Jane Liu, 
is also from SAP. She's an intern working on my team, supporting us here. Jane, great tweets today. Thank you very much. Frank, you're talking and tweeting at the same time. We don't allow that. I'm only teasing. So, Frank, it's time for you to tell me two very important pieces of personal information. Number one, where are you calling from today? And either what's in your cup right now that makes you smile and be so smart, or what did you have over the holiday in your cup that really made you happy? Frank? Uh, so first, I'm calling from uh, my home in New Jersey, so it's good to be home for a change. Uh, and second, uh, I'll answer both those. I'm actually drinking right now, I'm back to protein shakes, so I'm, I've been drinking them on a regular basis. And over the holidays, uh, I always, on Christmas, have my favorite drink, which is Tawaka, which is an Italian liquor. What does it taste like? Uh, it tastes great. <laughs> you put it in the fridge, <laughs> you drink it very cold, and it's, it's really good. Can you spell it for me? Uh, T-U-A-C-A. Tuaka. Okay, we will look that up during during the uh, the break. Let's see if I can find it real fast. Slow connection. Sorry, not happening. Gray Scott, where are you today? And what are you drinking? We had so many chances to hear what you were drinking. You were on the prediction special a couple of weeks ago, and you were on another mm-hmm. show. So what, what really makes you run? What makes Gray Scott tick? Gray? Well, I'm in New York City, and I can tell you what I want to be drinking is a glass yeah. of Riesling. <laughs> Any particular brand? You know, I actually had the best Riesling I ever had, Bonnie, was in uh, Stuttgart in Germany. The best Riesling I ever had in my life. Um, just an excellent, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a sweet wine for those people who, under, mm-hmm. who understand uh, yep. Rieslings. So, yeah, it's great. Okay, and I will tell you that I discovered a very lovely Riesling in a brand that I used to buy in New York. You know, I'm in Durham, North Carolina now. We have a magnificent grocery store that has a bar in it. <laughs> it has a, a, an eating area. You can actually, you know, the hot food that people take out, you can sit down. I hear they serve lobster on Wednesday nights and beef brisket on Mondays, and people go there for dinner, and people sit at the bar opposite the deli section, and they have drinks. But anyway, they have a – Gray, i got to tell you, it, it's like – walking into a liquor store past the fresh flower florist they have. This is an amazing store. But the liquor department is so well stocked, wine and beer and liquor. I discovered that Barefoot brand, and I was buying their Sweet Red in New York and really enjoying Mm -hmm. it. They have an absolutely lovely Riesling. It's under $10. I think it's on sale most of the time, but it is just delightful. So if you have a chance, try that. Barefoot is the name of the label. Try that and let me know if you like it as much as I do. It's light, not too sweet, and it's a nice surprise. So there, I have a recommendation for you. I don't usually talk about liquor on the show, but you you made me do <laughs> it. Will, Thank Bonnie. you. very. <laughs> it's good. By the way, Frank Tuaka, naturally flavored brandy liqueur, originally produced by the Tuoni and Canepa families of Livorno, Italy. It's sweet and golden brown in color. The ingredients are brandy, citrus essence, vanilla, and other secret spices, and it's bottled at mm. 70 proof, and the recipe goes back to the Renaissance period, 15th century from Lorenzo the Magnificent. There you go. Uh, Aaron, our, our engineer, just wrote down in the chat window, happy hour with game changers. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> I deserve that. He's in his 20s, but he's really sharp, really, really sharp. Tom Franklin, where are you today, and what makes you smile in your cup? Tom, go ahead. I'm calling from Houston, Texas, and last week I had something we never thought we would see in Houston, Texas, which was three-day-old snow in my driveway. So we had to get over. uh, I had to have my favorite uh, crazy Latins from Puerto Rico over. We had to 
conjure up some mojitos and uh, drink ourselves up some palm trees because we just don't know what to do with three-day-old snow in Houston, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to give you a quickie here. Um, you know, I, I was in New York for the past 35 years, and last week we had over eight inches of fresh snow here in Durham, and it piled up, and it was gorgeous. And I looked to the right of my house, and I saw that my two neighbors who married couples, the men had shoveled the walks and the driveways completely. The two families to the left, a single woman next to me and, a, and an older family next to her, had not shoveled. Well, my New York blood got boiling, so I texted my neighbor to the right, and I said, can I borrow your shovel. I had boots, coats, scarves, hats, everything, but I didn't bring a shovel with me because I didn't have to shovel. I was in a co-op all these years in New York. So at 4.45 that afternoon after the snow had stopped, I went out and shoveled for 45 minutes watching the sun drop behind the, on the horizon, and it was incredibly refreshing and the best exercise I've had all winter. And uh, the, the upshot to that, Tom, is that 48 hours later, it was 70 degrees here, and it melted. <laughs> but I did it. But I did yeah, it with my new. We're, we're okay with Go. our inch of snow every ten years, but it's supposed to be gone by noon, and it just didn't happen this time. I know. Well, ours lasted. They actually had a snow person contest here in my community, and they posted pictures of them on our little intranet. And one person did a snow person sitting on a bench in front of their house holding a, a daiquiri. <laughs> so that's that's the mentality down here. It was very, very pleasant. So that's it. And today, as uh, Gray and Frank know very well, I am drinking my mug, my cup of cool, clear water, and I have a green straw because you can actually see green trees here, even though it's sort of winter in Durham. It was 70 here yesterday, and I'm sticking with my water because they don't let me go anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. Happy to be here. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 310. Yes, I do keep track. Started the show October 5th, 2011, and it's now January 24th, 2018. Do the math. And I have to do a shout-out to our listeners all over the world, thanking everyone for listening, for clicking, for downloading, for tuning in. We had over 925,000 listeners to all of our Game Changer shows last year all over the world. We are very grateful for the feedback by your clicks and by your listens, the feedback that we're giving you content that matters, that means something, that inspires you or that just makes you smile. So that's on behalf of me as the producer, creator, and host. So we are talking today about a very important topic, the impossible, not really, exploring the future of energy. Welcome to the internet. And I have to do a shout out to my colleague, James McClellan, at SAP, who really, really, really wanted to be on the show, but he's busy. I think he's at FCOM this week or coming back from FCOM, and he couldn't make it to the show. So James, we are thinking of you, and thank you for sending some talking points. We will incorporate those in our discussion later. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, talking Talking today with Frank, Diana, Grace, Scott, Tom, Franklin. This is Coffee Break Wheel. We'll take our own 90-second break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network we're on the cutting edge of social media can you keep up when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back, and we're talking about exploring the future of energy with my three special guests, Frank, Diana, Gray, Scott, and Tom Franklin. And we're going to start the roundtable right now in earnest with Frank, Diana. And here's a very important statement he sent me before the show. I'm quoting Frank directly. The energy paradigm will change for the first time since the second industrial revolution. Frank, you want to expand that or break it down? Up to you. Go ahead. Yeah, both. Um, so as I mentioned in the quote earlier, you know, the big things versus the, the little things, this is the big thing. And, and really, if we think about the revolutions that preceded the one that's coming, the, the foundation of the revolutions really were communications, transportation, energy, and the platforms that emerged to support each of those things. And as we look back at history, I mean, our transport paradigm has been the same. Our energy paradigm has been the same since the, the second revolution. So our internal combustion engine, our, the fuel sources. Uh, so those kinds of things have not changed. What changed in, in the 70s and 80s was the communication paradigm. And we've seen the profound implications that just the change in communications has had. And, and we're going to see much more in terms of communication change, as we know. But so we look at that in perspective, then the changes in the energy paradigm that are coming, whether it's renewables or the kinds of things we'll talk about as we, as we go through this, or the implications to transport, which we know are coming as well, that just paints a picture that this, this next two decades will be massively transformative to society and our world. And so the big things that we, we need to look at and, and what has to happen to ensure that those things happen in ways that are beneficial to humanity as opposed to destructive. Uh, so I, I think the energy paradigm shift is one of the biggest things that will happen in the next 20 to 30 years. 
Uh, Frank, let me ask you before I bring in Gray and Tom, is this something that right now is trickling down to the level of consumers as I put on the lights in my house, as I put fuel in my car, as I, I don't know, as I um, I connect to the Internet, any kind of energy? Is this something I'm seeing, this new energy paradigm? Is this something that's visible at the consumer, shall we say, everyday ordinary life level, or is this something that's still in, in a big global development level? Can you help me with that? It's visible at the innovation level, right? So everything is getting smarter and smarter, and clearly energy plays a major role in the smartness of our homes, our cars, et cetera. So we're, we're clearly seeing the implications of some of this, but the massive impacts where the implications to, to society and governments, and you know, think about the oil regime and, and what it's meant to the global economy and the world and what's likely to happen as these things play out. Those kind of ripple effects, I don't believe, really are felt by consumers or are really not there yet to be felt, but Clearly, when wirelessly we can just walk around and our phones recharge or our cars will recharge wirelessly, those things will be felt by consumers, and they're not that far off. Thank you. That's exactly what I wanted to know. They're there. They're coming. They're at the innovation stage, but they're not quite here yet. That's what I wanted to know. Gray Scott, we'd love to get your comments on what Frank just proposed. Talk to me. Well, I think Frank is right. I mean, it is going to transform our planet. Uh, pretty rapidly and in ways that I think a lot of us are not really ready for. Uh, I think it's it, uh, what I'm seeing is that it is at the consumer level in very small quantities and in the innovation level, as Frank said. So, for example, you're seeing a lot of um, solar innovation on the individual level. You're starting mm-hmm. to see new lights. You're starting to see new ways of gathering energy. Uh, so for one concrete example of this, uh, I have, there's a company called Logic Tech, and I have their keyboard. And mm-hmm. the keyboard is wireless. It doesn't have a battery. I mean, it has a battery that charges inside of it. But the yep. keyboard itself has a solar panel, but it's incandescent solar, which means it can be nighttime, and I can turn on my lamp on my desk, and it will charge the keyboard. So these are the kind of new thinking in the age of the impossible, as we talked about, that I think, you know, Frank and, and what we're going to talk about on the show, I think Frank is, is right. You're, you're starting to see it in the innovation level. Thank you very much. Okay, I think we have an agreement there. Tom Franklin, let's get your POV point of view on this conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's happening a lot faster than we think because what you're starting to see, for example, some of the automobile manufacturers in the United States, particularly around where you live, are uh, operating uh, plants that are, essentially off the grid, uh, generating all their own power through various forms, uh, solar and other things. Uh, just in your own pocket, if you pull that cell phone out of your pocket, you're carrying a computing device that it used to take motor generators to run that much computing power. So you're seeing breakthroughs on both the efficiency side in terms of the devices we use and the things we do that, and the things that can be made available to people, and on the industrial side. And it's oftentimes happening not directly in the spotlight, but Mm -hmm. just off the stage. And it's happening in ways that I think are going to affect us uh, greatly. Thank you very much. Uh, Frank, I'm going to circle back around to you. Any thoughts on what your colleagues on the panel just added? 
No, I think it's all supportive of the, of the main theme that the, this paradigm shift is, is starting to occur. Um, and I just add that we have to keep in mind how energy kind of intertwines with so many different things. And so the ripple effect of shifts in the energy paradigm are massive. Uh, you just think about the autonomous vehicle that's coming and the fact that it's likely going to sit on an electric vehicle platform. Uh, and those are just small examples. So uh, I think uh, this one shift is, is a considerable shift. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on to a new topic from Gray. And Gray, I think originally when uh, you and I were chatting on email about two weeks ago, we were going to talk about something to do with CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. And I asked you if you were there when the power went out, which is an interesting Mm -hmm. energy corollary to what our conversation is today. You said, no, you weren't there this year. You were our, our reporter on the scene after the fact last year. So let me read a couple of notes here from Gray's comments to me before the show, and then we'll run with this. Gray says, Energy has become ubiquitous and invisible, and that is the problem. The recent power outage at CES 2018, which I just mentioned, should act as a wake-up call for the tech world. Energy delivery innovation should be a top priority for anyone creating devices in a smart tech world. Gray, I'm going to stop there. Very profound. Why don't you tell us more, please? Well, that's right, Bonnie. When we talked about uh, CES, I was following on Twitter, I was following CES, uh, you know, the whole week that it was there. And when the power outage happened, it really stunned me that there wasn't some sort of redundant backup system that wasn't connected to some sort of grid. Mm -hmm. Just because it is the technology show. Um, So what it made me think was, that we have sort of missed the forest for the trees here and that the people who are at CES that are in the energy section, because when you go to CES, there's a great section of like solar and alternative power section. I always go to that section in CES because I love seeing the, the new inventions and innovations there. But what's happened is, is that energy and electricity has become so ubiquitous that we don't think about it anymore. We don't even touch... We don't even touch the light switches anymore because we, we tell Alexa to turn on the lights. So we've mm-hmm. gotten to a place where we just speak electricity into being. And so we need to rethink where that electricity is coming from, how to keep the lights on when the grid goes down. And I was in New York uh, several times when we've had major power outages and it's not fun. So we need to, as, as, as companies, as innovators, uh, and as futurists, we need to think about new forms of technology. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples. There's a company called PaveGen, and PaveGen uses kinetic, they call it footfall energy collection. So it's kinetic energy, and uh, the example here is, imagine a New York City sidewalk that mm-hmm. has a little bit of a movement to it. So every time one steps on a piece of the sidewalk that moves, it collects that energy. Can you imagine the amount of wasted energy every day that goes on in New York from people just walking on the sidewalk? Sure. Can you include exercise bikes, going to the gym, running on the treadmill? All of that energy should be collected, and we should be using that energy. So that's just one quick example of what we're talking about here. Gray, what's the name of that company again? I want to put this into my notes. It's called Is that PaveGen? Pave Jen. Okay, I'm going to put that in here. Thank you very much. Tom Franklin, love to get your thoughts on what Gray said. And were you at CES? Any thoughts about their power outage, Tom? No, I was not there when that happened. But uh, oddly enough, I was in Jakarta the other day, and the power went off, and an unusual thing happened. People got upset about it. 
because usually in Jakarta that's a common uh, occurrence, and you just experience it something like we do, maybe stumbling going upstairs, or it just a, it just happens, mm-hmm. okay? And now in Jakarta, of all places, that's not okay. They're at the point now where they're used to having consistent, reliable power. I think this is part of what makes the energy Internet important because it allows us to create a more robust uh, energy grid, a more robust generation network. It allows us to include some of the sources that he was just talking about and build a more robust network so that we don't have these great single points of failure. When I first moved to Houston some 30 years ago, uh, the South Texas nuclear plant would go down and our lights would go out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, we recovered from the the hurricane we had not too long ago in about five days. That's because we have a more robust, more diverse generation uh, platform, and I think that's part of what the energy Internet enables is that more robust uh, network to get away from single points of failure. Interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, Frank Diana, love to get your thoughts. I I think Grace hit on a very critical point. Um, If you think about the connectedness of our world and where the Internet of Things is going and and just how much is going to be relied upon in terms of the grid and and the consumption of energy is is going to go up. Even things like blockchain uh, put pressure on on the grid. Mm -hmm. And so as all those things occur... Uh, we can't afford as a society to have anything but, you know, ultimate reliability in, in our energy sources. So uh, I think it's a critical point, and it's just going to get more acute as we continue to build out this connected world of ours. Very interesting. I'm, I'm remembering, Gray, I'm going to come back to you in a second to round out this part of the conversation. I'm remembering my years on Long Island, and every time we would have a major storm, it was not unusual to hear popping and cracking and even explosions from the transformer that was under the sidewalk in front of the building where I lived in the heart of Great Neck, Long Island. And uh, we were not unused to having to call whoever the power company was, uh, Gray and Scott, it was either, uh, I'm sorry, Gray and, and Frank, it was either Lilco or Lipa or National Grid. You know how often they've, they've changed who was in charge of our power. And it was a question of waiting online on the phone and figuring would the doorman from our building call or would the residents call? How many people needed to complain? When would they send a truck? How many places on Long Island were without power? How many hours would it be? Once we even had a fire in the transformer and we had to evacuate the building and we had to call in a favor from the head of LIPA and have him send a a truck in the middle of the night with a new transformer and we were out for 36 hours and we had to have the new transformer put in underground. They hadn't waterproofed the transformer cage. Mm-hmm. And the fire, when it caught on fire that day, caused up issues. The EPA came. Was there contamination? I was threatened with being hosed down with power hoses because I had been leaning into the grid when I heard the noise about 10 minutes before it exploded. I heard noise under uh, outside and went down and looked, being the curious soul that I am. It was an absolute mess. And that shouldn't be happening anymore. I'm not, Gray, talk to me. We, we shouldn't have outages in residential areas just because some water got into a grating on the sidewalk. Gray, aren't we farther along than that? Uh, Bonnie, can you imagine the frustration of a futurist? <laughs> I'm turning into one just just by association with you and Frank and Kai Gerlich at SAP. I'm turning into one. So great, talk to me. When was this? When is this madness going to stop? When are we going to stop being so? I don't know what to call it. 
dependent. I don't know, but I, I can tell you that um, when I was looking for uh, my house in Connecticut, one of the things that I was really conscious of is making sure that the power lines didn't run over or near uh, the property because it's it's just so ugly to see these power lines running yeah. across your property. And yep. I think, you know, when do we get past that? So, you know, it's 2018, I think it's time. But I will tell you one of the standout, uh, and this is something I've, I've heard from a lot of uh, peers, one of the standout technologies was from, uh, uh, I think it's OSA, the, the CODA wireless system where you can wirelessly transfer energy. And I think that, I'm sure we're going to talk about that in this episode, but wireless energy transfer is the future. That is where we're headed. And uh, a lot of people were really excited about that technology at CES. Thank you very much. Any comments from anybody else about our our very, very old-fashioned energy delivery in certain places that are very populated and should be more sophisticated? Frank, you're in New Jersey. What are you you observing? (laughs) I want that wireless thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you know what it's it just goes back to the earlier point think about what happens when energy is transmitted wirelessly even even from from satellites up in space that are collecting solar energy closer to the sun i mean those kinds of things are what i mean by the transformative impact on, on society right think about what that means to the current constructs yep Thank you very much. Tom, any comments on that? Because I'm about to move over to your comments, Mr. Franklin. But anything you want to add to this discussion about power outages? I -hmm. think it's very critical that we use the technology of the Internet to move to more robust power systems where we have, uh, uh, we don't have these bottlenecks where a single point of failure can bring down, you know, 250,000 residential customers in someplace like Houston, Texas. And I think the connectivity that the Internet promises allows us to go to more sources of generation, shorter uh, transmission routes, uh, and uh, more, less local switching. So I think, I, think that, I think this has a role to play in, in getting out of this trap. Okay, let's talk about that trap a little further. Tom, I'm looking at your notes from before the show, and you say, not all of us will thrive in the world of energy abundance. I love provocative statements on the show, Tom, and that certainly is one. You say, for the first time, almost all major markets and even many developing markets face the prospect of an abundant supply of energy. Tell me why not everyone will thrive. I'm going to let you share that one with us. Okay, so... If you look at the way our business models are constructed, if you look at the way our market structures are set up, if you look at the way our business processes work, if you look at the way many of us have constructed our careers, they're all based on the the theory that energy is scarce and it's Mm -hmm. never going to be anything but scarce. And in fact, what we've seen in the last two decades is that that can be turned on its ear. Uh, Take my own world in petroleum. We went from a shortage of natural gas around the turn of the last century to six years later, we had a 400-year supply. Take the world of crude oil. We went to where if you said that the U.S. would ever be exporting crude oil, uh, people uh, laughed at you. And today we're looking at that. Take my own area in Houston, Texas, where they used to ask us to shut down the air conditioners in the afternoon. Uh-huh. They're begging us to burn, uh, uh, to, to burn uh, power at night. We have an overabundance of electricity. So... What we're seeing is that energy is more available. It makes the business more competitive. It gives us as consumers and gives businesses at industrial level uh, more options. And a lot of things that we've set up, institutions, regulatory frameworks, are all based on the fact that energy is scarce, 
It's always going to be scarce, and it's never going to be anything but scarce. And those things simply aren't going to work in the area of energy abundance. You're already seeing utility companies and uh, conventional oil and gas companies under intense pressure because the the world is changing. And so that's why I say uh, not all of us are going to make it because we're going to have to make a tremendous shift in order to, to move into that. Thank you, Tom. Very interesting. I, I like that. Will that be a, a world of haves and have-nots, do's and don'ts? Uh, how, will we divide the ones who have that agility and adaptability with the ones who are left behind? Any any quick cultural thoughts on that, Tom, before I ask Frank? Yeah, I think Frank you're going Greg? to see that because it is, we've seen lesser subshocks in, in the uh, energy and utility industry. We've seen some well-established names have to get off the train because they just couldn't make the shift. And so I think you are, unfortunately, going to come up with winners and losers uh, as you go forward. You're also going to see some new players emerge that had never been a part of the scene before and become important in the energy markets, uh, even though we didn't typically think of them as energy companies. Interesting. Let's turn it around to your colleague, Frank Diana, across the table from you. Frank, comments, please. The winners and the losers, the adopters, the agility people versus the laggards and the on the outside looking in wondering, why did I have another power outage when they didn't down the block? What do you see? What do you see, Frank? Well, two thoughts. I think the macro level theme of belief systems being challenged is applicable across the board when it comes to the changes that are happening in society. So we all... Uh, rely on our past intuitions and what has worked in, in our past to, to drive decisions as, as we go forward. We can't do that anymore because the world is really different. As that, that's one. Two, uh, I'll take the have-not have to a different level. You know, the world mm-hmm. of abundance that's emerging, and I am a big believer that it is emerging. question is, does that abundance get shared evenly? In the past revolutions, there, the, you know, the Western world benefited greatly from the innovations of the day, but we still have, you know, a, a developing world that is suffering on a number of levels. And so, does this world of abundance, you know, help them? And what what do leaders need to do to ensure that it does? Okay, Gray Scott, what do you think? Winners and losers, have and have nots. Left side of the street, right side of the street. Power on, power off. What do you see, Mister Futurist? <laughs> Well, I do think um, the, the points that have been made are interesting because um, we do need to think about developing countries. We need to think about how much these technologies are going to cost. Um, the price of the technologies does fall, but what's, what's different now than, than what was different in the past is that now we have technologies that these new systems can actually ride on as a platform. So just as a side note here, Think about blockchain. Being able to use blockchain as a platform to decentralize power, to decentralize electricity and how it gets used and, and who owns certain uh, percentages of, of the power itself. So we have new algorithms and technologies that can actually quickly augment this shift. And so that's a difference. Um, I think the waiting time for the uptake of new innovations is, is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Is that a good thing? Are we ready for it? Go ahead. Who wa- I heard somebody. Who wants to speak? Yeah, it, it's uh, Frank. I just wanted, because I think that he yeah. made an excellent point in terms of the difference between this, is, many call it the fourth industrial revolution and the revolutions that preceded it, is the ability we have, both at the science and technology level, to actually resolve some of the issues that existed in the past. So, so abundance and sharing with everybody in the world, I think the ability to do so is there, is the will to do so there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And 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 let's uh, let me back up for a second. For Tom Franklin, you want to wrap this one up this since this was based on your notes and then I have a question for the panel cuz we are doing so well on time, gentlemen, that we actually have another 7 minutes until we have to go into our crystal ball predictions round and I think we've basically been talking about the future for the whole show, but I will I will get your predictions anyway. Tom, anything you want to add to what Gray and Frank added to your comments? Sure. I think at a social level, they're exactly right in that we have to make sure that abundance uh, is shared across political borders. And then one of the interesting issues about energy is you go back to the time when we were consuming firewood, and, and energy's always been a political thing. It's, it's never just based on technology. It does have a political and social element to it. Uh, you asked the question, are we ready for it? And mm-hmm. I guess my answer to you, having seen a number of these technical innovations come to the energy industry, is it doesn't matter. It's coming whether we want to be ready or not. Uh, we will be made ready by the arrival of some of these technologies and the market shifts that they deliver. So I, I, it's going to be an interesting time, and, and uh, I think uh, it, it belongs to those who will step up and have an open mind and, as the gentleman pointed out, take responsibility for some of these issues. Hey, okay. Frank, Frank, Go ahead, Frank. Frank. Can I ask, yeah, can please. I ask Gray a question. Sure, uh, please. Gray, I know you're you're really big into the decentralization that's coming, and I agree with you on that front. In in the context of the energy grid and the conversation we're having about equal sharing and the benefits, uh, what happens from a cross national regulatory construct perspective that it gets in the way of decentralizing everything? I, I fear that it will delay our ability to get there. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I share your concerns as well. It's, it's, it's something that I've been talking about quite a, bit, uh, quite a bit, is that the idea of decentralization is actually something that is sort of being forced from the down, from the, from the bottom up. Um, it doesn't always seem to be the people at the top that are interested in decentralization. Obviously, they have something to lose. But the people that need the basic um, essentials of life, those people are ready for decentralization. They don't need someone to monitor their behavior or their assets. They would rather share assets and resources from person to person, so a peer-to-peer um, scenario. Now, I'll tell you quick, just quickly what I find so uh, fascinating about this subject and, and, and combining blockchain with energy distribution is that <clears throat> using that system and getting rid of the, the middlemen, you can actually distribute the, the energy exactly where it needs to be so there's no waste. And that can be done so efficiently that for very little energy you can share in a village or you can share in a small town or even a major city if it's scaled. And I think that's really where we're headed. We're, we're, I, I agree with you. The will needs to change, but I think the will is coming from the bottom up. Yeah, I agree. Now, I have a question for the three of you. The will is coming from the bottom up. Gray, let's start with that one. Let's talk about smart cities. Is this something that the populace slash citizens slash residents slash business owners are going to go to the powers that be? Old-fashioned term, but we know the people in charge, the leaders, the ones running the whole gig in the city. Are they going to have to go and say, hey, I heard Gray Scott on the radio say we are entering the unwired age. I want our city, our community 
community, our block, our village, our neighborhood, our street, our cul-de-sac to be in the unwired age. Where is this going to come from? Is it something people need to ask for on a, a geographic, on a community basis? Gray, let me start with you. Or is this something that smart cities are already have lead, leaders, supposedly, who are the visionaries and say, Wow, that's available. Can we bring that to our residents and our businesses? Great. Where's the energy coming from? Energy, I'm using it in a a human way. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a little bit of both. Um, I think what you're starting to see, uh, take take, uh, Internet, for example. There are are people that will put up um, stations for free now uh, and send out uh, free access to the web because they want to share that. So there, there is this sharing idea that's out there. Some of it comes from the cities themselves that want to be more efficient and, you know, quality of life inside of a city sometimes attracts people to your city. So it is beneficial for a city to have a better quality of life. And if you can be anywhere, even in the power outage, and people can start sharing energy, or if it's free, I mean, Mm -hmm. imagine living in a city where you don't have a power bill anymore. I mean, as impossible as that sounds, and I always have people who say, well, there's this and there's this and it's impossible. I've said before earlier in this conversation, we're entering the age of the impossible. It sounds like that could never happen, but in small places, it is. Interesting. Frank, want to comment on that? And then Tom, and then we will officially be in our crystal ball round. What do you think, yeah, Frank? I think what, one of the dynamics that work here that, that drives innovation are, is the need to solve some real-world problems. So whether it's traffic congestion that's growing and the ability of the Internet of Things to resolve some of those, and algorithms to resolve some of those challenges, or the aged society in Japan and robotic caregivers are required to solve those problems, you can, you can just go on and on and on about real-world challenges with, with the ability now to solve some of those problems driving innovation. So I do see some of that. That, that driving some of this, not necessarily bottom-up, but, but governments looking at real-world problems and having to solve them. I'm less concerned about the local application of these technologies as I am the broad global uh, concerns around regulations and the kinds of things that have to happen to have the global impacts that I believe can happen. Thank you. Tom Franklin, before we go into crystal ball in one minute, I'd love to get your thoughts. What are you thinking about all of this? The thing that's going to confuse people about this uh, transition that we're making is it's not going to be a top-down, bottom-up, political, process, industrial-driven thing. It's going to be more of an ecological and biological-driven process. Uh, It's going to be a lot of decisions that are made by individual industrial complexes, by individual neighborhoods, by individuals in neighborhoods. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the way, you know, I've had to deal with cellular technology in uh, very developing markets because we need it in our operations, and it's actually developed very in a very much more robust way and more quickly than it has in uh, remote parts of the United States, largely because it was just this biologic process. Thank you very much. We are at the crystal ball. I wonder what's powering the crystal ball. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I actually brought my 36-inch disco ball with me, uh, Gray, Frank, and Tom. I bought it from the, let's see, it was the hotel in Eugene, Oregon. They were demolishing the hotel. It was about 40 years ago. All of the fixtures were on sale. It was my birthday. The disc, I was uh, teaching and, and uh, doing disco demos. I was a, a disco dancer. Yes, I was back in the day. And the disco <laughs> ball from the ceiling with the motor and the lights and the colored gels was being sold. 
and I brought my cash, a couple hundred dollars, and I paid for it, and I still have it with me today, and it's in my garage here in Toronto. <laughs> I use it on my TV in my TV studio in New York many, many times. So let's talk about the crystal ball or the disco ball. Maybe we don't need to call this the disco ball predictions. I think that's what we'll do today. So disco ball predictions, Mr. Frank, Diana, TCS, love to get 60 seconds from you. What do you think? What, what else is coming down the pike that we haven't covered today? Frank, it's all yours. So I think in the next couple years to five years, we'll, we'll see continued innovation in a lot of the areas that we discussed. And, and I think Gray is focused on some of the key ones, whether it's wireless technologies or, or, or footfall traffic generating energy. I mean, all those things will start to will really continue to accelerate. And, and so you can see a world in, in two to five years where the innovation is there to start to uh, really drive this energy internet or internet as we were calling it. Uh, so I do think mm-hmm. those things will occur. I'll go back, though, from a prediction perspective and say that I, I am also concerned that uh, global instability, a number of the things that we're seeing playing out today, you know, populist movements, all those things, not to get political, but they're all things that could mm-hmm. undermine some of our progress here. And so I do have some concerns as innovation thrives that other factors are at play and, and might stall some of our progress. Thank you very much. And, Gray Scott, I saved 60 seconds for you as well. Sure, Bonnie. Um, You know, wireless transmission, wireless energy transfer is the future. And the way that we collect energy and the way that we harvest energy down to the kinetic energy on our bodies using smart outfits and smart devices that can collect the energy actually coming from our body. When you start thinking of energy collection as a hive, if we start thinking of every person on the planet as a person who can generate and collect energy, then you can see that we could circumvent a lot of the political issues around us. And I agree with what Tom was saying earlier, that it's going to happen randomly in pockets of neighborhoods. You're going to see certain corporations uh, step up that we didn't think were going to be players. And you're going to see some big people and some big corporations away because they did not pay attention to this this shift. Thank you very much. Tom Franklin, you're up. 60 seconds, and then I have a couple of words here from James McClellan who couldn't join us. So let's see if I can squeeze those in. Tom, 60 seconds, all yours. I think you're going to see the emergence of an unexpected player like Amazon come in and rock the energy world. Uh, and it's going to be somebody that nobody saw coming. You know, they may or may not be in the energy industry today. Uh, they may or may not be one of the energy innovators, but you're going to see somebody come along, and, and they're going to affect it starting at the business uh, model level, and then they're going to suck all the technology in they need to make it happen. But I think in the next, just like you've seen Amazon emerge over the last 20 years, you're going to see somebody uh, emerge that way in the energy market. Thank you very much all. Let me just read a little, uh, not a recap, but an interesting sidebar here I should have done earlier in the show. James said the following, it's not just Hollywood scriptwriters who serve as the artistic muse for MIT's high-tech hotshots. Wireless electricity was the brainchild of Nikola Tesla, who as early as the 1890s had grand ideas of a global wireless power grid. And some university students now think they're well on their way to making his vision a reality. Researchers at Stanford University think they've gotten the wireless charging technology right as they've been able to transmit electricity wirelessly to a moving object nearby. Gray, one quick sentence comment on that. You got anything? I think Nikola Tesla was way ahead of his time, and he is going to be proven right eventually. 
There you go. Eventually, I like that. And he's probably in absentia from somewhere beyond our power grid saying, thank you, Gray. I appreciate that. Finally, a little respect. <laughs> and I want to say how much I appreciate. Tom Franklin, you're our newbie on the panel today. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Please say yes. Oh, I absolutely did. Wonderful. You're going to come back then. That's great. Frank, thank you for finding Tom. We needed a third on the panel because James couldn't make it. And appreciate your reaching out. I have to do a shout out to Jane Liu at SAP. Jane, your tweets are amazing. Thank you so much for being part of this. Kevin Mulcahy and Rose Rodriguez at TCS. I got to tell you, Frank, they're all over this Twitter thing. I'm looking and I see that I see their faces. Well, Rose doesn't have one, but Kevin Mulcahy has his face on his, uh, his Twitter handle. And Frank, and thank you so much to everybody who tweeted. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It has been a real pleasure bringing you our first topic of the new year following five weeks of our prediction special it's 57 after and time for me to say goodbye i will tell you that tomorrow live at 10 a.m eastern right here on the business channel we debut a brand new series called uh changing the game in consumer industries and we're going to be talking about some very interesting things about that namely the internet of things how is it impacting consumer products companies are they using it are they reluctant what kind of investment Investments are they making? We've got a lot of great information. Don Gordon from SAP helped organize this one. So thank you to Frank. Thank you to Gray. Thank you to Tom. Thank you to Aaron, our fearless engineer. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Whatever you're driving, if you're walking, put a seatbelt on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. And that's an order. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.